Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. So good morning, everyone. I'll give everyone a minute to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Then we'll pray and get started. Romans chapter 1, verse 10. All right, let's stand to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the Holy Spirit and through our mediator, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of spiritual life with open spiritual eyes and for the opportunity to sit under your word today, being gifted by you with the precious gift of natural life. We entreat you, divine spirit, to lay the good soil, to go ahead of us, and allow us not to only hear natural words today, but that you will pierce the back of our natural eardrums and plant the seed of your word deep in the soil of our minds, that it may grow into a fruitful, robust tree and yield fruit for decades to come. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So Romans chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, Paul writes, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. So I know we ended last time with a question. The question was, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? But before we dive into that and answer that question, of the seven things we talked about last time that prayer is, that it's essential, personal, active, learned, progressive, proactive, and challenging, the eighth characteristic I want to use to describe prayer is to say that biblical prayer is without ceasing. Biblical prayer is without ceasing. And the question now is, what does that mean? Again, Paul, Romans 1.9. For God whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of the Son is my witness as to how unceasingly, is my witness as to how without ceasing, I make mention of you. How does Paul, without ceasing, make mention of the people in the church at Rome? He tells us how in verse 10, always in my prayers making requests. Through prayer, Paul makes mention of the people in the church at Rome unceasingly. This word in Greek is adialeptos. And this is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul gives the apostolic command to pray without ceasing. So this connection between Romans 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is important not just because there's the use of the same word. It's also important 
because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us marching orders for practical Christian living. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 overall, the Apostle Paul tells us how we should live. Now I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 to 22. And I want the church to pay attention to how many times Paul says always or everything to give a totality or a big picture of Christian life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 22. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything Carefully hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So overall, these verses answer the question, how is the Christian, practically speaking, supposed to live? And the answer is, how we're supposed to live is saturated, dripping with God. We do all things, and in everything that we live, everything is dependent on and in always giving thanks and reverence to our Lord, being animated by the Holy Spirit. That's the big picture. So now let's zoom in. So when Paul talks about praying without ceasing, what does he precisely mean? Praying without ceasing does not mean what it literally means. It does not mean literally being in a prayer closet for 24 hours. Common sense tells you that's illogical. If you're in a prayer closet for 24 hours a day nonstop, you're not gonna eat, you're not gonna drink water, you're not gonna sleep, you're gonna die. If you're in a prayer closet for 24 hours a day, you know what you're not doing? Reading your Bible, disobeying a direct command from the Word of God. You know what you're not doing? Talking to other Christians. Do you know what you're not doing? Helping people who are in need. You know what you're not doing? Evangelizing. If you are in a prayer closet 24 hours a day, you are not working, you're not paying rent, you will soon be evicted from that prayer closet. So praying without ceasing doesn't literally mean nonstop 24 hours a day. What praying without ceasing does mean is that overall, the big global pattern of our prayer life is that our prayer is recurrent and often. Praying without ceasing means that prayer is recurrent and often, recurrent simply means it happens over and over and over again. But it's not every three months, it's not every six months, it's recurrent and it's often. Does the Bible ever command us to pray every day? It doesn't. Jesus says when you pray. However, what was Jesus always doing? 
praying. Daniel, we know what the Bible describes. It doesn't prescribe. It describes the reality that Daniel prayed three times a day in set discipline times. So praying without ceasing means it's recurrent and it's also often. So now, let's bring us all back home. When Paul now says in Romans 1, chapter 9, that he unceasingly, without ceasing, makes mention of the people in the church at Rome in his prayers, this all now fits into what we already said, because the Apostle Paul was a, big, was a busy guy. And he had a lot on his plate other than just praying for the people in the church at Rome, which means... He wasn't praying 24-7 for only exclusively them because he was planting churches. He was traveling all across the known world at the time, and he was also doing what? Writing letters. And when he was doing, like the epistles of the Romans, and when he was doing that, he wasn't consumed in prayer. And let us also take mention, church, that when we pray, and that is recurrent and often, that also does not mean we're always praying with words because prayer can be wordless. You can be in the car driving to work. You can be on the Long Island Railroad. You can be in line waiting to board a plane and you can be praying because guess what? God not only knows what's in your heart, he can also discern your thoughts so you can pray to God without words. Evidenced by who in the Bible who was tearful and crying because she was childless? Hannah. Hannah. In the beginning of 1 Samuel, she didn't say a word. And what does the Bible tell us? That God heard her prayer. That's the beauty, that's the splendor of serving a God who is everywhere all the time and who knows what's going on in between your ears. Okay. So praying without ceasing means it's recurrent and it's also often. And one of the final things we said last week was that prayer is challenging. So while we know that prayer is challenging and we also know that we're called to pray without ceasing, we now know that even when prayer is challenging, we still do so without ceasing. So one aspect of prayer animates the other and it all forms a conclusive whole. So before we move on, any questions about praying without ceasing? So last time we ended with a question, and the question was, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? The thinking behind the question is, if God is in charge of everything anyway, and nothing happens without his approval, or him allowing it to happen, then what's the point of us getting into our prayer closets and praying? And who remembers what the very quick answer we developed was? If God is sovereign, if God is in charge, what's the point of praying? Because God is a God of means, and the sovereign God of the universe has declared that the means by which his will is executed, the means by which his sovereign will 
is conducted in reality is through the means of human prayer. If God is sovereign, why do we pray? Because it changes things, and prayer also changes us. And the means God uses to change things is by human prayer. This is why the Bible, the book of Psalms, is essentially a prayer book. If God is sovereign, why do we pray? Because prayer works. God is the one who decreed it. God is the one who now ordained the means. And God is the one who also ordained the ends or those prayers now being answered. Now, when we zoom out and realize that God is sovereign and he has ordained prayer as a means by which things change and which we change, the church now understands Prayer changes us on the inside before it changes things on the outside. And one of the neatest analogies I've ever heard someone describe prayer is Donald Barnhouse. He was a preacher of old who used to preach in Philadelphia about 30 or 40 years ago. Here's how he described prayer. I want you to imagine that God is a music composer and he basically has composed this beautiful symphony. There's instruments, there's stringed instruments, there's the piano, and it's a beautiful, complex symphony. And that is now his will or his decree for reality. Reality now bends and follows the music that he composed. What we now begin doing when we pray is we're beginners in playing an instrument. So we're using God's music, God's composition as the map, as the blueprint that we follow. But we start out being off key. We can't play the notes very fast, and it sounds horrible. People hear it, and they say, oh, they're a beginner, and they don't want to listen to it. But the more we pray, and the more we allow God's tune to influence our ears and our minds, step by step and day by day, what we're playing becomes closer and closer in tune with God's tune. It's not our tune. We didn't write anything. We're basically patterning what we do according to God's musical composition so that throughout the course of our Christian lives now, the tune that our hearts play match what God is playing. So now guess what? If the tune inside of us matches God's tune, we're going to be praying not for our will, but for God's will. This speaks to the reality that prayer is not us-centered, it's God-centered, it's also progressive, it's also transformative for us. So this is what Donald Barnhouse writes in Man's Ruin, quote, prayer is learning to play the tune that the eternal plan of God calls for and to do that which is in harmony with the will of the eternal composer and the author of all that is true harmony in life and living, end quote. What's the highest form of prayer? For your, what is the higher form of prayer? To pray for yourself or pray for others? Good, others, why? Because in the tabernacle, which was the Old Testament meeting place 
between God and material reality. When you walked in the tabernacle, outer court, you get in the side of the tent, you have the lamp, you have the showbread, but before you enter into the holiest place, there's the altar of incense where the smoke is burning, literally represent, representing that the thing that separates a, a, a great, a high priest from the holy of holy places is prayer. So now that we know how critically important prayer is and knowing that praying for others is far more important than praying for ourselves, my question to the class is, why? Yes? You're close. What's the point of prayer? What's the point of life? What's the point of everything? The point of everything is God, right? Simple, God. Point of everything is God, Romans chapter 5. Okay. We were made for God's honor and glory, Isaiah 43, 7. So what's the point of prayer? Ultimately, God, God's glory, right? That's, that's the ultimate point of prayer because that's a part of life. If the ultimate aim of prayer is God and his glory, the reason why praying for others is far more important is when we realize, church, that God's glory is the point. Just think about it. Who can glorify God more, me by myself or everyone else? Everyone else, right? If you as a sole agent whose life purpose is the honor and glory of God, you are limited by yourself, your limitations, time, particular handicaps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now when you see that God has an entire kingdom filled with servants, there's an entire body with gifts and talents and resources who speak different languages, who are in all four corners of God's earth, you realize there's an entire army of people who are capable of glorifying God. And you say, wait a minute, they can do so much more than I can do. As a result, whenever, whenever anyone is genuinely regenerated and born again, they now have a well-vested interest in other Christians, knowing they are one component of a whole, and the body can do so much more than one pinky. The body can do so much more than one hair. The body that's working together in harmony and unison can do so much more than one tooth. And on top of that, what does Paul say in verse number 10? He says, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. You see what Paul is doing here? Paul is praying not only for the people in the church at Rome, he's also praying that God use him 
in order to execute God's will. This is critically important to understand. Because in prayer, it is far easier for us to pray about something and say, God, use John Doe to do it. Or God, I'm going to pray about this issue, but let other people do all the heavy lifting. Paul is saying, God, I love the people in the church at Rome. I am eager to serve them. Now please use me. Here I am, send me, use me as your instrument in order to execute your will. Prayer, beloved, doesn't mean, doesn't suggest spiritual displacement, where we basically lift something up to God and say, God, now you take care of it. Let someone else do the heavy lifting. Earnest prayer now, which has a focus on God's glory, always seeks to incorporate the self because... Genuine service and reverence always makes a, a, a Christian, male or female, practically useful. And that usefulness always seeks for the self to work and labor in God's vineyard. Okay. Paul says, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. When Paul prays that he may succeed by the will of God, he actually means it. In modern day, when people say, I want to know the will of God for my life, they actually don't because they actually don't appreciate that the will of God may be something completely and totally against my will. Let's zoom out for a second. If we realize, church, that God is sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing, when we actually pray for the will of God and we actually want God's will to be done and not my will, that actually means the reality that you know may be completely turned upside down. Consider this for a second. Consider the will of God is that you no longer attend this church. Consider for the will of God that tomorrow morning you move to Uzbekistan and you now become a missionary there for the rest of your life. See what I'm saying? When we now, with our finite comprehension of reality, actually pray, God, show me your will and use me as an instrument, we have to understand what that means. Because the will of God may be something that we don't like. So when Paul prays, if perhaps time at last, by the will of God, he actually means it. Because praying for the will of God actually means you may get something that is against your will. Paul was praying to go to Rome. How did he end up getting there? In chains. He was a prisoner, meaning Paul asked God for something and God answered, but the way God answered wasn't how Paul expected. And how did Paul end up being in chains to go to Rome? What was the incident that happened? 
who remembers? The book of Acts tells us. What was Paul doing? He was preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. The Jews didn't like it. They brought him before the authorities. Fast forward to the future. Uh, Paul appeals to Caesar. So now Roman soldiers take him into custody. And that's how he ended up in Rome. He basically was unjustly arrested for preaching and teaching the will of God. And guess what? That was God's will. God's will was for his chosen apostle to end up where he wanted to go as a prisoner. Even more than that, a common question that you and I are always going to ask ourselves in life is, what is God's will? What does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life? And we're going to search for an answer, and there are some days we wake up and we feel confused, we feel befuddled. But guess what, church? So did the Apostle Paul, because what is Paul telling us here? He's telling us he wanted to go to preach and teach in the church at Rome, but somehow he knew the will of God was preventing him. He was encountering hindrances. He was encountering disruptions and interruptions. But even the Apostle Paul experienced roadblocks in life. Now, if the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote a bulk of the New Testament, experienced setbacks, disruptions, and interruptions in life, does it not then follow that you and I, as regular everyday Christians, are going to now experience the same thing, but not see those bumps on the road as the devil attacking us or something went wrong, but rather simply the fulfillment of the will of God? Final thing I'll say today is this. When Paul prays for the will of God, Paul knows that all things are ordered by God, and therefore what he does is he subordinates his will to divine sovereignty. So when Paul now actually prays for the will of God, he prays not only looking to God for success, not only looking to God to bless and to lead and guide him and what he's doing, Paul now will also regard whatever he seeks to do as a failure if God doesn't allow it, if God doesn't grant his blessing, which is why now Paul can lovingly and graciously accept these hindrances as God essentially saying, Paul, it's not time yet. Paul, not ready yet. Paul, not right now. The vision is for the appointed time, but for right now, not quite yet. Continue to wait. Continue to pray without ceasing, even though it may be challenging. That will end verse number 10, and we'll stop there. Are there any questions? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time and the opportunity that we get to sit under and study your word. And we ask you, O Lord, as we go home today, that progressively and daily you augment and ignite the zeal in our hearts for prayer without ceasing, 
so you will allow us to have the dedication and the emotional desire to figuratively speaking play our spiritual instruments to step by step and day by day closer match the eternal tune that is your divine will. Shape us, O Lord, that we will be better prayers and shape us, O Lord, that you will transform us to pray what your will is. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.